You're listening to a Times Higher Education podcast. Hello and welcome to the Times Higher Education podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Custer, the editor of Campus, Times Higher Education's resource platform full of advice and tips for faculty, staff, administrators, and leaders across higher education. Can spending time in natural environments support students' well-being? This is the question that an interdisciplinary team of researchers and educators at Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas wanted to answer. Despite research showing that spending time outdoors does support students' mental health, the team struggled to get students to actually spend time outside. So they developed an innovative course combining theory, research, and practice to help students improve their mental wellness and better understand how it's connected with the natural environment. On today's episode of the podcast, Laura Allen, the co-developer of the course, The Natural Environment and Wellbeing, joins us to talk about what inspired her and her colleagues to develop this course, what it involves, and most importantly, if it's helped their students. Thanks to one of our newest Campus Plus members, Trinity University, for sponsoring this episode. Dr. Laura Allen, thank you so much for joining us on the Times Higher Education Podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. Um, It's not often that we get an education expert on the podcast to talk specifically about education, so I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Just by way of introductions, do you want to tell us about who you are and and what your work focuses on? Sure, thank you, and I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm a professor um, at Trinity University, and I'm part of a five-member interdisciplinary research team. Um, And for the past five years, we've been studying the question, um, can spending time in natural environments support college students' well-being? And... um, we come from, at this from diverse backgrounds. My background is development, especially adolescent and emerging adulthood, as well as I've done a lot of curriculum development work. Um, but the other four colleagues also come from related fields. Um, so we are very interested in what this looks like. And part of what drew us to this was that four out of the five of us have kids in college. And so in addition to seeing students and the stress that they're under professionally in our university classes, we saw that at home and thought this might be avenue to support student well-being. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, let, let's let's go into the um, natural environment and well-being course. Um, tell us about kind of what it involves, what students do on this course. Well, we started out um, basically saying would this support student well-being if we take them out in nature um, and compare that? And so first of all, we just started with some pure research, having students, you know, um, half walk in an urban setting, half walk in a natural setting and giving them some some different measures. And we found that, yes, it really it, it does what all the research says. Right. It's very supportive. And we would say to them, look, you need to go outside and spend more time out there. And, you know, what they said, just what our own children said, that's great, but we don't have time for that. We're very stressed. The one resource that college students don't have is time. So we kept hearing this for a couple of years and thought, you know, we really need to create the space for them to do this, but to do it very intentionally. So what we did is thought, well, what about a credit bearing course? Because they need to 
be able to get something for this, right? Like a, a credit that they can apply to whatever types of, of studies they're doing. So we created a course um, and we combined theory, research and practice, which is, is unique because most classes tend to look at a theory, the research, right? Mm -hmm. Or they are just a research course, a lab, or they may go in and just do the practice of something. But we're trying to combine all of it. So we we first teach them about here's what we know about the research, which is very solid now, not just correlational, but a lot of causal research is coming out. Hmm. We show them that we talk about the mechanisms um, that are thought of and the synergy among those mechanisms as far as what's actually happening when we mm. go outside in nature and what happens to our bodies and our minds and things. But then we also take them out um, in the class for a full day field trip and we let them collect their own data um, using some of the same measures that they've read about and do pre and post and show them how a day out, it's usually about four to five hours out in a, a state park Mm -hmm. with the, how their body responds to that. So mm -hmm. that it's not just reading about other people's data, but they can actually see their what they how they responded. Mm. Um, I think that's very powerful for them because we know emerging adults tend to, they're still in the phase of identity development, trying to figure out who they are, what's going on, and they need everything related to them. Um, and then then the practice component is something I think, um, especially as educators, we bring to that very field-based experience. We commit that 50% of the class will be going out to parks, to nature areas, plus the one full day field trip, because we feel like you can't just tell them to do this. You have to create that space. So every other week um, in the class, we are going out. And the class is taught on a Wednesday afternoon in a three hour block so that we have time to go to these outdoor spaces. And um, so you're, you're showing students the research that, that shows the, the connection between spending time in nature and improved well-being. And then how are they necessarily measuring that within themselves? How are they, what sorts of observation metrics are they using to, to see that actually play out for themselves? That's a really good question because one of the things we realized is it's very important for them to uh, use some metacognitive strategies to reflect on it for themselves and to apply it to themselves for mm -hmm. this to really stick. Um, so one thing we do is we have an assignment called the sit spot and it's just what it sounds. It's very basic. Um, you have to go sit somewhere in nature for 30 minutes and observe what is around you. And it sounds very simple, but it's much harder than it sounds like, especially just to slow down and be able to do that. And we, we give them some tools to do that. Um, and then they have to do after that 30 minutes, they can have no technology or anything um, on. They can have it with them. Then we ask them to do a brief reflection um, on a Google form and to just say, you know, what were you noticing? And it can be there's no right or wrong. It can be you know, like I was still very distracted and had a hard time not thinking about my the next class. But what we see is a pattern over the semester of, of fewer and fewer distractions as they learn to do that sit spot. And we even have students like during finals saying, you know, I had a, a really rough day. I need to do an extra one of these types of things. Um, so we do those types of um, assignments. We find that they need to be given permission to go out and do what they consider to be nothing. Mm. For example, I'm going... You, like the very first class, we talk about this and have them do a sit spot. And 
they're like, I'm supposed to just sit here. You know, mm-hmm. that's just so counter to our culture, mm-hmm. right? We, we see that as being um, unproductive. And if we're unproductive, then that's that's a negative when it's actually not. It's doing so much to restore us um, physically, emotionally. And we know that, but we have to learn these practices. Another thing that we do is looking at the mechanisms. Um, we know um, Bratman and his team, uh, most of them out of the University of Washington, have come up with a really great um, idea of how we can figure out what is actually happening with us. So they have a conceptual framework and they, they identify every time we go out, what is what are the natural features around you? What type of exposure did you have to those? And usually our exposure is around time. Then what was your experience? Did you do, did you explore? Did you do a forest therapy walk? Did, what did you do out there, right? What was that? And then what was the result for you? Whether that was a result of, of uh, emotionally or physically, what was the result? And after, so after each trip, the next week, we come back and have them complete this for themselves. And the final exam is, it's not really, it's not an exam, is they take the com- compilation of all these that they've completed and they look at it and say, okay, what works for me based on these different factors that we know are important, or at least we think right now are important in identifying some of the mechanisms that are going on so that hopefully they will continue this practice, right? Some of them may, what we find is some of them say, I really do better around water. Some of them say, I really need to be like in a really heavily treated environment. And some people say, you know, I need kind of where I see some other people around so that I feel safe. So it varies. Um, and again, the, the, the idea is there's no right or wrong answer. It's just to figure out what really works for you. Hmm. So there's this incredibly... Uh... Uh, deep self-reflective element to it, but there's also scholarship involved. You mentioned the theory that you're bringing into this as well. What are some of the the readings or some of the texts that students are looking at in this course? So um, we we most of what we read are actually pure research articles, um, and we we have them. They have some choices, and with those, there's a few basic ones we read, and then they have a lot of choices in those. But we also read. Um, we look at Richard Liu's work on the nature deficit disorder, because we are also teaching about education um, and looking how childhood, what that looks like compared to the past and have them think through that and how we need to look at educational settings today. And they actually go out, we have, we partner with a school district that has um, a small amount, not a lot of grant funds to do outdoor spaces for Title I elementary schools. So each we put our students in groups and they get to go out and help design that space based on the needs of that particular school hmm. um, so that they are applying some of what we know that, that the OLA principles, which are the outdoor learning environment principles, combined with we use the attention restoration theory as well. So they have to combine those two and look at those spaces. And they, they're all very unique to each school and what what's already outside, what they have, what resource, other resources they have, um, so that they can actually start to um, apply some of this to an educational context as well. So um, it, looks, it looks different, um, but our key thing is getting them outside and having them really focus, reflect, and think about these things deeply. I know you're in the Department of Education, but 
are most of the, and I know it's a quite popular course at Trinity, so are most of the students who are taking this course, are they from education majors or do they have a variety of backgrounds? Actually, no. Um, so we, we purposely made the class so that it will count, any student at Trinity can take it and it will count for something that they need. So it counts for two of our, our general education requirements. We're a liberal arts university, so two of those that everybody has to take. Um, and then it also counts for the major and minor in environmental studies, as well as the minor in education. So we get everyone. I mean, we have business and computer science and engineering and STEM, and we do have people interested in education, but we have the whole gamut. And I think that makes for a much richer, diverse course. And I imagine quite a diverse background in socioeconomic students. I mean, is there is there one specific experience that um, students from a specific background might have compared to others or or perhaps, a, I don't know, an additional benefit that students who might not have grown up around a natural environment would have? It's interesting to see those that have, um, we have a lot of students from urban areas, but mm. some, some are from more rural areas where there's a lot of nature and just to hear them talk about their experiences growing up and how those differed. And even the ones that may have grown up in those more natural spaces, once they get to college in an urban area, they find themselves staying indoors more mm. on screens more because that's just what what's demanded in college so much for studying. And I think the key is this, this help, helps them remember the importance of going outside, even, I mean, it's even good. We have lots of beautiful white Adirondack chairs around our, our campus of red brick and, and wonderful green grass. And, you know, just go sit out there. If you have to do your work, take your computer out there. I mean, I tell them I, when I can, I go out on my, the back porch of my house and I sit and I do grading when I have to do that out there. I mean, um, that's not ideally what I should be doing out there, but it's better than, in my opinion, than being inside. Mm. So um, we try, I, we do see some differences in there, but I think what's interesting is um, they all come to the class with, with just, um, they're inquisitive, they're, they're interested in what we have to say and what we have to show them. Um, and they, they just all, it's interesting how they embrace this, especially I think once we show them the, the, the research. I think that's the key is they have to realize, okay, this is based in some solid research. Right. Then once, literally even after the first couple of field trips, um, they're pretty sold on, oh, this is making a difference um, in some way for me. And again, for some more than others. And it, you developed this course over two years, I think I read. Tell us a little bit about that experience of developing a whole brand new course, uh, working across disciplines, um, introducing a quite novel way of approaching um, a, a new topic. What was that like? It was a little challenging, to be honest, just because it was really an unexplored field. But I will say Trinity, the environment that we have here is, is often supportive of let's look outside the box for some different things we can do. This all started um, in 2019 when our um, academic affairs department offered some small research grants to interdisciplinary teams that wanted to work on something. And so I had just um, read Florence Williams, the, the Nature Fix book, um, just on my own, because I actually grew up in rural Northwest Arkansas and 
loved it, um, but have done much what the college students have really, I, you know, stayed in my urban little, little box here in San Antonio um, and realized, okay, this is, this is something, right? It's, it's part of the answer to what we're all struggling with this in, in the 21st century. So I talked to people that I knew here at Trinity that I thought would be interested in it. So our interdisciplinary team, some of them have like our content or or we, I brought them in and and talked to them. Are you interested in this because of their content background? But some of them, it's more of a skill that they have and they're just interested. Like our our, our sociologist, he is primarily helps us do um, design, the research designs and runs all of the stats for us. Um, This is not his field. Um, he's interested in urban health, so it's 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 re- it's tangentially related, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not his content field. He was just interested in it, and as I said, four out of the five of us, this really resonated with us because we had kids, most of us like one in high school, one in college, and and would see the very same things our students were struggling with. So, starting this kind of a class, I think it was the right time because the research on nature was has really um it's really solid now for the first time in a long time uh and that's important that we can actually say this is something that we feel like is one avenue that will help most people not everybody not everybody likes to go outside we had one student sign up for the course and she's like oh i didn't realize we were going outside I, you know i don't like bugs and so i'm like you know maybe this isn't the right class for you um but <laughs> Yeah. And so, um, so it's one avenue, right? But so it was the right time. Nature um, it is, is kind of at the fore right now, but also student well-being and the need to address and help students any way we can through uh, their mental stresses, I think is also, it's, it's, it's at the fore right now. We're all very concerned about that. So it was the right time. Uh, also, I think what's important is this is a course. So we really stayed in our academic lane. We weren't competing. We're not trying to compete with all of the other wonderful resources we have going on at campus that are trying to help students' well-being for you know our counseling and our our academic success and our our wellness programs. It's it in no way competes with those. It's just it's a different avenue to come at this. Where I think I think the key is students feel like okay, I have to take a class for X anyway. Let me, I, this sounds really interesting to me. Maybe this will be helpful or beneficial. Mm-hmm. So I will say, um, especially our, our environmental studies program really um, took a step out and had a lot of faith in us to work on this. And this is our third year teaching it. And um, it's gotten better each year. Obviously it takes a little bit of time to get it. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, is there ever a perfect course? No, but you know, it, it's, it's much more where we want it now. Um, and I, so, of our five member team, uh, Dr. Courtney Krim and I actually co-teach the class and everybody else supports with the research, mm. uh, the design. And it's, it's very, the research in the class are very seamless. Um, they, they kind of go back and forth and, um, students mm. get to know the other, other members of the team too. They typically go in our full day field, full day field trip and things like that. So undergraduate research is, is another trend that educators are talking about a lot, both for the benefits to them, but then also to students in that coordination of, of academic scholarship. How has that been for you? And do you have any tips or advice for people who are considering embarking on uh, co-researched activities with undergraduates? We find at Trinity that students are very interested in conducting research. And 
I will. So that's the first thing, which is really nice. And giving them those opportunities as an undergraduate, um, that's often hard to find in um, in college spaces until you're a grad student. So I think that's one thing. But also what we found is when it has the research has to do with themselves. That's a that's a huge motivation to for them to say, look, what we're doing is is we're trying to decide whether this actually supports you. So one of the things that we've done um, aside from that, just showing them their own specific data is over the last two years, we have compared students in the class using a difference and difference model design, which is a quasi experimental design with like students not in that class. So we give them some same measures, um, primarily rumination and things like that. And what we've seen is, as we expected, they both started in kind of the same place. We do it four points across the semester. But as the semester goes on, the students that are not taking, um, we call it the nature class, that's kind of a, the lingo, their stress in rumination tends to go up, which you would expect the stress, the semesters get more intense, right, toward finals our students go down. And we find that very um, fulfilling because that's what we want. Um, and we're also, we're, what we're looking at now is, okay, we do a lot of different things in the class. What is it, that's our next research step. What is it that is actually making the difference for students? Mm. Uh, is it just this combination of everything or we, we suspect there's a few things that are making a difference. One is the metacognitive reflection that we are, are mm. forced on them. Um, in a way you could say, uh, one is the understanding the research, but what is it that's actually causing those changes? Because we tend to see them pretty early in the semester. Mm. Uh, by the, the fifth or sixth week, we're, we're really seeing some significant drops in rumination, which, you know, those are, that's indicators of, of depression and, and anxiety. And what is it about, the class? What is it about taking that time and going outside that is making that change for them? Um, so that's kind of our next research step is trying to identify what some of those things are um, and have some of the students in the class actually work on the research with us that, that takes that next step. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I know that you, you, you haven't quite figured out what that magic element is there that's helping students, but I wonder if you've got any advice for fellow educators who want to maybe incorporate this a little bit, maybe not an entire course yet, but incorporate this a little bit into their own classroom, whatever discipline or, or field of study they're in. Any advice you have for them? I mean, the, the, the typical advice is just say to have class outside whenever you can, but I would say if you really want it to make more of a difference is mm -hmm. you can at least explain a bit of the research. Um, mm -hmm whether, you know, so that students understand that there is a basis for what, you, for all of this. And I mean, there's, there's a study that I love and it's um, that just noticing nature, for example, if you walk across campus and you just pay attention to nature, a tree, a squirrel, whatever, instead of being on your phone or talking to someone or whatever you're thinking about, if you just notice that can impact your well-being positively. So I think these little bits of things I would say you just need to teach them a bit about why this, what the research says. And then when you can provide some space for them to do that, then just take your class outside, do whatever your regular curriculum is maybe, but maybe provide five minutes for them to relax, look around. Mm -hmm. One of our students' favorite activities is just to lie down and sky gaze. 
Um, they love that. Uh, Dr. Prim and I are certified force therapy guides because we thought that might be something that would be beneficial to add into the class um, through uh, the Association of Nature and Forest Therapy. So we do a couple of actual full-length forest walks with them. Can you and, explain just what uh, briefly what forest therapy is? So it's it's based on Shinrin Yoku, which translates as forest bathing, and I think it's it's really been very popular. Um, in the U.S., um, ANFT has used the term forest therapy, and they're mainly because forest bathing often people envision running around naked in the woods, um, <laughs> which is not what you're doing. It's basically um, leading, guiding anyone through the process of focusing on their body's responses to the natural world and, and getting out of their cognitive space in that in their head. And when we see that, what we know is that that parasympathetic nervous system takes over. So we do a couple of those. Um, we don't do all of that because, you know, some of the students love it. Some students think it's, you know, a bunch of mumbo jumbo. <laughs> so yeah. so we, do, we do a variety of things. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we do typically during a, a walk is have them lie down somewhere in either a sky gaze or look at the trees or something like that something that most of them say they haven't done since they were children um, for maybe 15 minutes, you know, and just those types of things tend to really bring some of those relaxation states on. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the interdisciplinarity uh, uh, team that uh, you have created this course with. Um, interdisciplinarity is a, is another hot topic in higher education, but there's a lot of criticism around it that it's just kind of paying lip service to research funders or institutional leaders who are saying this is a good thing to do when in reality there are quite a few barriers to actually doing it. I know you mentioned the research fund that Trinity put out there um, that helped you do this. Would you say that getting over that funding barrier was perhaps what instigated this whole process or are, are there other things that you think might be standing in the way from an, a team of interdisciplinary academics getting together? I definitely think that that grant was the impetus to do something and pull people together. Without that, I, I'm not sure we would have done that. Mm. So that was really, it was an opportunity. There was a deadline to say, let's, let's write something up and put it out there and see what people say. And since that was, we got, you know, obviously a positive response to that. We just kept moving forward. And I think the key to our interdisciplinarity is that everybody's interested in this. It's not, again, it's not just that it was not any one of the, the five of us. It was not our research line at all. We were interested. We learned about it. We've done a lot of study and gone to conferences and things and thought, if this can make a difference, it's something that we should at least try. So, I, again, I think it's something that um, just find people interested in something that, that they have some level of expertise and, and can pull something together and some, um, an academic, academic support system that's willing to um, take a chance on it mm. and support that and see if it works out for, for mm. whether, whatever type of task that you are putting together. Um, and have you, have any of your other colleagues responded to this maybe positively if they weren't so interdisciplinary inclined, which is a mouthful to say. <laughs> um, uh, it sounds like you were working with people who are already kind of going in this direction anyway, but have you seen a response from colleagues who were maybe a bit skeptical of working like this, who have opened their minds up to it? Yes, 
Um, actually, the skepticism came more from the nature aspect than the interdisciplinary mm. aspect. Mm. Um, because, you know, obviously some people would say stuff like, obviously it's, obviously it's going to make you feel better if you go outside, but it's not going to last very long or, you know, obviously this or that. And, you know, I've just, I've, I guess it's cause I'm kind of I'm old. I've been here a long time and I'm kind of stubborn. I'm like, you know, if we think it's helping and once we get some data, it was, I think it was difficult until we had our own data to show it. But once we did, and, and it was very strong data, um, especially about the rumination in the, the comparison groups we were able to do, um, that really told me this is matter, this matters for students. Mm. And I don't I think other institutions should think about something like this. It doesn't have to look exactly like our three-hour course. It could be a one-hour offering here or there. It could it could look differently, it could be packaged differently. Um, but I think it's one thing out of many things that could be uh, a positive impact on student well-being, especially since we all spend so much time indoors on screens kind of huddled down. Um, and I do think the collaborative um, nature of the course is as far as we all go out, we've created this sense of community within our class that you know we a lot of students didn't know each other before the class, but here we are going out on field trips all the time together, carpooling, doing this thing. And that creates that sense of community as well. And we know that that is one thing that being out in nature tends to, social socialization tends to be higher because you tend to go with people often. So I think that aspect of it is supportive as well. Again, we're not really sure all the different facets that are going on, um, but we, we do think this is positive. I want to just ask you lastly, as a, your background is in education, we've talked about that a little bit and in assessment specifically, and when you were talking just there about how it, it gets students off their phones and it really takes them out of this technology, digital transform transformative world that everyone is living in, um, I wanted to ask a little bit about AI because that's something that educators are really thinking about a lot. And this seems like a class that would almost be AI proof. There's no way that students could use AI in any way to uh, to do cheating or plagiarism or anything like that. And you certainly can't get AI to go on um, a forest bath for you, for example. Um, how are you um, thinking, but I know that assessment is part of this, so how are you thinking about um, assessment in this program, and, and is it fair to say that this is an AI-proof course? Yeah, I guess if there were, were an AI-proof course, this might be it. <laughs> I haven't really thought of it that way, but I like that. <laughs> uh, we try to do everything and make the assessments very authentic. For example, like when um, the students design the outdoor spaces for the elementary schools, those are actually used by those teachers. Um, for example, this past summer, an Eagle Scout picked up the design for one of the schools and actually built it out. So those types of things, we want those authentic experiences for them because it's all it's all based on them. The sit spots, we have another assignment called a, a photo story where they take pictures uh, four times across a semester of something in nature, and then they apply it just to how, what they're going through in their life, as well as anything that we've read in the class to kind of, to kind of think through that. Um, it's called a photo story assignment, a little bit different methodology. And so that would, again, can they pull a picture off the internet, slap some words on it? Sure. But they have to share that, you know, present it. Um, 
in the class. And so sure, they could do that if they want to. To me, I'm not worried about that because this is for them. Um, we kind of start the class with, we are doing this for you. This is a hard lift class, right? To go on that many field trips um, and just even just the transportation, it's it's much easier to stand behind you know a podium and lecture. That's not what we want to do. So I think they're with us on that. You know, I think that they realize the value in this type of assessment. And I, if you can apply, I know there are, are definitely places where you just need to have that knowledge base to, to then be able to do those types of authentic experiences. And so that's the kind of place I think AI might, you know, we might be a little bit more concerned about whether they're gaining that basic knowledge. Um, but the way we, we constructed in this class, I think um, that so much of it's experiential mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that it's somewhat, as you said, AI proof. <laughs> Wonderful. Laura, thank you so much for sharing with us your experience of developing this course. It sounds absolutely wonderful. I wish I could take it, um, but hopefully it's been inspiring for other people to hear how they might be able to incorporate a little bit of this into their own courses. So thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. You're listening to a Times Higher Education podcast.